At ASDefense.com, we were already selling the best knife brands in the world when law enforcement approached us about making them a knife. And so, the ASD Centurion was born. Centurion is made of tough D2 tool steel, has a full plane edge, and fully serrated spine. It's like having two knives in one. Centurion also has a gut hook, skull crusher, and storage inside the handle. Get your ASD Centurion today at ASDefense.com. That's ASDefense.com. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Phone number 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. You can also send a text message to 45364. Please put MNC at the beginning of that message. Uh, Real quick update. The Pentagon... Uh, Hey, Joe, could you do me a favor and uh, you can just go grab him because he's here and they didn't want to come in because the mics are on. He can come in, get settled, and then we'll do him in the next segment. How about that? Sean Haas is here. He he had to make a beeline from school. He got out of of, uh, school and was making a beeline to come over here and do the interview. He said he'd probably be cutting it uh, a little close. So we'll make sure we get him here in the next segment. I'll break a little early. Uh, But the Pentagon said that Turkey had been removed from the air tasking order employed by members of the anti-Islamic state coalition operating in Syria. Now, what that means is that Turkish planes will have considerable difficulty entering Syrian airspace to support the invasion threatened by President uh, Erdogan and will not benefit from surveillance data collected by the coalition. Uh, If you're not on the air tasking order, It's really hard to coordinate flights in that area, according to the Pentagon spokeswoman, Carla Gleason. The Defense Department took pains earlier this week to make it clear the United States does not endorse Turkish operations in northern Syria and will not support or be involved in any such operations, as another Pentagon spokesman, Jonathan Hoffman, put it. In conversations between the department and the Turkish military, we have consistently stressed that coordination and cooperation were the best path forward Uh, Towards security in the area, the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Staffs, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, excuse me, General Mark uh, Milley, said that the they stressed to the counterparts uh, in Turkey that unilateral action creates risks for Turkey. So what they have done is, I guess, there is an establishment of a safe zone and a peace corridor that is essential for Syrians to have a safe life by contributing to the stability and peace of our region. Uh, Turkish security forces will never tolerate the creation of a terror corridor at our border. That's their that's their reasoning for all of this. Um, now, Turkey is an interesting place because Turkey has traditionally been a very good ally of the United States. And they, uh, while a Muslim country, have rejected Islamic tendencies for a long time. Erdogan is reversing that. They're not like a Syria or an Iraq or anything like that. They're not that they're not there yet, but um, they hate the Kurds. The, there's again, they've been fighting for like a thousand years, folks. It's 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 a longstanding conflict. They've been killing each other over there the entire time that we've been there. Um, Turkey has held back because American forces were there. And they didn't want war with Syria. They feel like now um, a war with Syria wouldn't be a big deal. They don't even know if Syria would actually respond. Now, Iran, uh, Syria, a couple of others have said that the Turks need to stay out of Syria. 
Uh, so it's, I mean, the whole situation is a bit of a mess. I think they're saying over 100 Kurds got killed. I don't know what the alleged civilian count is up to now. Yesterday during the show, it was seven. Uh, I think I heard, I saw somewhere there was like 130 something uh, Kurds that were killed with the the offensive that started. Uh, what do they call it? Like Operation Peace Spring or something like that. So they're again, it's it's a fiasco. Um, I get and appreciate why everybody is upset about abandoning the Kurds. I concur and agree with all of that. Um, but you have to make a decision at that point if you're in the country of Syria. Uh, regime change was a terrible policy, never should have been pursued. Okay, But the Obama administration pursued it. So now you're in a position where you either stay in Syria forever. Uh, the president kind of alluded to this in the press conference that we carried yesterday. He said, look, Senator Lindsey Graham and I disagree on this. Lindsey Graham would like to probably put a thousand troops there and then, you know, a couple hundred thousand more everywhere else in Syria. I disagree with him on that. I don't think that we should be involved in all of this. Um, and I, I have to remind everybody that you know, I heard a thing in Fox today where they were saying that now, keyword now, the perception is that if you are useful to the U.S., you could be an ally. But, not you know, all of a sudden when your your job is done, you're not an ally anymore. And while that is a fair assessment, it's not fair to say that that is new. Again, the Kurds were abandoned by Bush Sr. The Kurds were abandoned by Clinton. The Kurds were abandoned by Bush Jr., they were abandoned by Obama. Now, in Syria, at least, they have been abandoned by uh, by Trump. We, I attempted to explain this as best I could for people uh, the other day when this kind of came up because it's a very complicated situation. I wish that the Kurds all got along and we could just take a swath of land. Uh, well, most easily, that would be in Iraq, and offer them that swath of land and kind of do an Israeli-type thing. But you're still going to be tasked with protecting them, just like we do with Israel. There's going to be that situation again. But the Kurds don't get along. Uh, so they will work together against jihadists. They will work together against others who would attack attack them on an ethnic ground. But generally speaking, they don't get along um, in confined spaces. And they're very territorial. So they have these ancient lands. So getting them to leave these ancient lands is not something that's feasible either. So there's a, not a mass migration solution. So you're... Your bets are two. Um, you, you either let them fight it out and hope for the best. You can support them indirectly, if you will, uh, or you can actively support them and protect them and have to deal with the ramifications of that. Uh, the president has made the decision not to do that in Syria. I don't know if that means that he will continue to support them in less uh, open and public means, that we don't know that. We're probably not going to know that unless there's a leak somewhere. And... That's kind of it. Uh, and it's an ugly situation. Nobody likes it, but that's where we're at. Anyway, Joe, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. You're right. It is an ugly situation, and it replays itself all the time, Casey. This is why we were in Vietnam for years longer than we should have been, because we cannot abandon those who stood be beside us. It, it, it never stops. And it, it is an ugly situation. And if Trump didn't pull out 10, 20 years from now, we would still be there. And the Kurds don't even have their own nation. And right. it's just, uh, it comes to a point, unless some politician can say, I'm willing to send my son or daughter over there to fight, I don't want to hear it. It's just got to play out. And you have winners and losers in wars, and it's just such an ugly situation. I'm glad he did it. I feel bad for the Kurds. I really do. But it just never ends. We'd be there 100 years from now. Well, you know, and this is the thing, too. You can, you can have empathy for them and still pull out. 
Um, right. And again, Syria is much more complicated than Iraq is, and Iraq is very complicated with the Kurds. Syria, you know, keep in mind, we don't control Syria. Uh, you know, Syria is, we tried regime change over there under the Obama administration. Again, foolish move. Never should have happened. We tried that. It, it didn't work. Assad's in power. Assad will remain in power. The Russians are, are now there. Um, this, this other coalition is now. It, you're not going to... You're not going to be in a position where you can say this land now belongs to the Kurds in this country. That's not going to happen in Syria, which means there's going to have to be another major conflict. And if people are okay with that, then people are okay with that. But I don't think in general the country is okay with going to war for the Kurdish people uh, in Syria. I agree yeah. totally. You right. know, and it's just my point is it never ends. And well, it's that's just it. It would argument yeah. wherever we're at. You can't abandon those who aligned with us. And then you're there forever if you use that argument. Sure. And, and by the way, a lot of times when we've done that in the past, they've packed up and come with us. We said, all right, you can come to the United States. Let's go. Um, we'll provide safe harbor. The Kurds will not do that. They will not abandon their ancient lands. They won't exactly. Thank right. you. you got a great show. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Thank I appreciate so it. You take care. All right. All right. Uh, we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Phone number 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. Joining me in studio right now is Republican running for mayor of South Bend, Sean Haas. How you doing, bud? Good. Thanks for having me. Finally got you in studio because um, your school schedule makes it hard sometimes to be able to get over here. It does. Jewish school's on break right now, so it makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> So he came over uh, right after school, got here a couple minutes late, so we just figured, let him settle down, we'll do this segment, and instead of the last segment, let you catch your breath, because I hate running into a place when I'm running late, and they make me sit down and do an interview, and I'm, you know, doing one of those things. So, obviously, considered the long shot, to be perfectly honest, there hasn't been a Republican mayor in office in South Bend since 1972. I think the NAACP forgot about that. Uh, when they were talking about systemic racism in the city and how Democrats have been in control. Of course, I wrote an article about that. Um, Democrats have been in control in South Bend for a century. And if there's systemic racism in the city, wouldn't that technically be coming from the party that has been in power, right? If it was systemic and institutionalized. Uh, And that hasn't been Republicans. So I've said, Sean, that maybe one of your pitches should probably be, hey, uh, you've tried this for a long time. You're not happy Maybe we should try a different direction, and that would be your platform, wouldn't it? I mean, I think that's a big part of it. It's kind of like, what have you got to lose at this point? I think, I mean, even going, not even going back all the way 100 years, I think you can look back in the last eight years of the administration, look at what happened with Chief Boykins, the housing authority. Uh, you can look at, I mean, even the most recent report that was done where minority and women contracts were underutilized in, in, right. with the city. So there's a lot of stuff out there, I think, that kind of, proves that point that maybe systemic racism does exist here, and it's the it's the party that's been in power for the last several years. Now, when the NAACP was kind of calling you out on that, they were taking you out of context, and they were basically saying that you said there was no systemic racism anywhere. You were specifically addressing the police department, and you were saying, you know, to call the entire South Bend Police Department racist is just frankly a lie. And it is a lie. I mean, I know a lot of these officers. Um, obviously, it's not 100% white anyway, but I know a lot of these people have mixed families, um, they've lived in this community their entire lives, not a racist bone in, in their bodies. Now, there are some allegations of some of those people, obviously, that exist in the department, as there are with any other profession. Um, the mayor currently, Pete Buttigieg, has said he doesn't have the authority to fire any racist police officers. The community obviously rejects that answer. As a mayor, you're going to come in, you're going to be picking up 
with this huge rift with the police department and the mayor's office and the city. And then, of course, you have your citizens as well, which view the police probably differently than a lot of people view the police. How do you how are you planning on stepping in and kind of trying to mend those relations with those three parties? Well, I think first, um, I feel like I do have a good relationship with the with the police department, with the endorsement from the FOP. I think they understand that I'm going to I'm going to support them. One of the things that they said to me constantly was that Pete really kind of violated their due process rights when he throws them under the bus, essentially, and blankets them all um, after the O'Neill incident. But he sent them pizza. Well, so it should have been all good. (laughs) I mean... I mean, it, Pizza it was cures Bruno's. all, right? I mean, it was it, Bruno's. Well, it was, yeah, and Bruno's a good pizza, man. I mean, just, <laughs> just saying. Um, and, it, I mean, it's a difficult task, but I think it's one that, that I, I think it's worth taking on. Um, I think I can I can bridge the gap between the, the administration and the police a lot easier than trying to bridge the gap between the police and the community. I think it's just going to it's gonna take action. It's going to take demonstrating that we are trying to work against that systemic racism that, that they view. I mean, I understand those experiences, so I want to make sure that, and how we deal, how the police and our relationship works, and then how we work with the community is constantly working towards proving that we we are not racist, that we are that we are trying to you know work together in in that sense. I think we can get at the crux of this from the Buttigieg administration. He left community policing, and he went with a numbers based policy. I think it's crystal clear the police don't like that policy. They've made that abundantly clear, actually, for a number of years now. Uh, I think if you look at the violent crime rates, it hasn't worked in that aspect. And then if you look at the, particularly the black community in South Bend that feels like the administration and the police are not listening to them, numbers-based policing isn't working for them either. So as mayor, would you go back to the approach of community-based policing are you looking at a different approach altogether? Well, I, I think you have to. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say that there's not an advantage to using numbers and analytics, but I think we need a more com- uh, community-focused um, process. I think having a couple dedicated offers, officers that are able to go around and, and coordinate with all of these different neighborhood associations. That's one thing that I, I really focused on over the summer and as much as I could here in the fall since school started is going to those neighborhood association meetings and listening to uh, the stories that those people were bringing. Um, if we could have the same officers going to those meetings, I think it would be a lot easier for them to to work and engage with that community. But I think a lot of times it's it's the off it's different officers almost every time. They're not getting that cohesiveness. So if we could have that, I think having a couple officers that do that, that's their job, would be a good way in starting that community policing effort. A little bit easier to share information that yeah. way. Yeah. All right. So obviously the elephant is there that's it. That's the elephant in the room um with this election, I think, policing and everything that's been happening. You mentioned schools. You're an educator. You know, this is your job. Uh, There are two school systems in Michiana that people flee from. Elkhart, South Bend. South Bend, this week, another report, we're going to lose $17 million because like 700 kids are transferring out. They don't want to be a part of the school system. It's clear that there's an exodus from South Bend and they're going to other school systems that parents are more approving of. The mayor doesn't, I want to make this crystal clear, okay? The mayor does not control the schools, all right? But the mayor has a role to play. As mayor who has an education background, what is your first steps in in improving the educational system in South Bend? I think, I mean, we need to start facilitating more relationships between the schools and other community organizations. I think we've talked about the trade skills before. I think there's a huge gap. I mean, we've seen that, I think, kind of grow over the last 20 years with this push to go to college. I think the mayor, like you said, even though there's no authority within the school systems, I think we have a vested interest as the city to make sure that our school systems are turning out 
turning out educated workers that are going to draw in jobs, going to draw in new residents and new investment. Um, so being as good of a partner as possible with South Bend, I mean, essentially, I will do whatever they want me to do and need me to do um, within the schools. But if that um, also means working with our organizations, I think like the crossing seems like a really good opportunity to help some of those They're struggling good organization. students. Um, I met with uh, the regional director last week, Cedric, and he was, I, I mean, I was blown away with some of the stuff that they do there. I'd always kind of looked at it um, when I worked in, worked in South Bend at Rise Up and then even at LaVille, that it was just a place for them to catch up, catch up credits. But they do a lot of business yep. activity, they, you know, learning skills and that kind of stuff. So I was really impressed with that. I'm actually going to go and tour that facility, a couple of their facilities next week when we're on break. Yeah, we used to hire them to do some of the tree work and stuff in our old house. Right. Um, really good really good people. I was going to get a couple of aides from there as well, some interns and things like that, just mm-hmm. ultimately cold months, and it, transportation was hard and it didn't work out, but yeah. really good organization. Uh, trade schools, again, we mentioned that the last time we spoke. Uh, you just brought it up again. Um, typically, trade schools do really well in areas that have a high, low-income population mm-hmm. um, where education isn't always on par with the national average. Uh, I think you could argue that there are swaths in South Bend where that would that would be true. So, you know, rather than put them on a dead end, offer them vocational training. Hey, you can go out and get a job now here. Right. Um, plus it builds the city's capability in those trades because obviously South Bend needs to diversify what they do uh, to grow their economy. Their economy is growing slower than the surrounding economies in Michigan. So trade schools could be an option for that, and you would be an ambassador for that, I assume. Oh, for sure. I think um, I... I didn't know a whole lot about trade school, you know, before I'd uh, kind of gotten into the race. Um, so I went down to the Carpenters Union, uh, the training facility down there in Warsaw a few times. I was down there at their open house a few weeks ago. And, I mean, I think the the opportunities that they offer, whether you're talking about free schooling, I mean, you have four years of school. I mean, it goes towards a college degree. Come out with, you know, $25, $30 an hour job once you get your journeyman's and you're debt free. I mean, I think that is... That's a huge advantage. And I mean, even though, and I've told this to a lot of people, that even though Republicans and unions aren't necessarily two groups that get along all that much, I think locally the issues here are not political. And so my my focus, I want to get people to work, and I think that's something that, that I've talked to, at least with the unions, that's something that we agree on. Yeah, what's, what's interesting about unions and Republicans and conservatives is that if you take the politics and electing certain people out of it, they actually agree on a heck of a lot more than people realize they do. Right. But you got to get the partisanship away from it and actually have a cohesive goal. So it sounds like you're focusing on that. Got a couple of other things to talk to you about, obviously. Um, this is a big campaign, and it's going to, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a little bit different than people expect it to be, to be perfectly honest, based on what we're hearing in the community. Mm-hmm. So we're talking again with Republican candidate for mayor in South Bend, Sean Haas. We'll be more, uh, come, have more with him coming up on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. <laughs> And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank our sponsor, Second Amendment Arms and Range, located in New Carlisle. And if you mention me, you get 50% off your range time. So you can shoot for twice as long or for half price. It's up to you. Go to secondamendmentarms.net for more information. We've got Republican candidate for mayor, running for South Bend mayor, of course, is Sean Haas. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, so we've talked about the elephant in the room, the police department. We talked a little bit about education. Um, let's talk about infrastructure. Uh, what needs to be done? We keep hearing a lot of things about uh, maybe sewer systems and things like that. What really needs to be done in South Bend that hasn't been done? Well, I know the sewers are a big part of it. Uh, the EPA mandate is something that's been kind of hanging over the city's head for a long time. But it's something we need to get done, I think, sooner than later. I mean, 
depending on how the 2020 election shakes out, I think you're going to find a much more easy to work with partner with this administration than you might find with the next administration, depending on who wins. So it's something as far as a project for the city that we have to push forward um, to try and save as much money as possible. I mean, it came, I think it was at one point a billion dollars because I think they wanted a side by side separate systems. But I think with the smart sewers, um, and I think that technology is kind of helping mitigate some of that cost. So it's re- reducing it quite a bit. But if the if the election goes one way, you could find a much more difficult EPA to work with. So it's something we have to focus on getting finished. Now, what about, because I think the EPA, I think they just approved like a loan for St. Joseph County or something. I think that just went through. I don't know how much that ends up in South Bend or anything mm. of that nature. But uh, roads, we're coming into road season, man. And it feels like they haven't fixed a lot of the roads around right. here anyway. And some of them are just getting done. This is a perpetual problem in South Bend. If you go to Mishawaka, the roads are a lot better. Mishawaka is known for having really good roads. You go to Elkhart, they're a little bit less as good as Mishawaka, but they're still much better than South Bend. As somebody who rides a motorcycle, I can tell you, you can see the difference. It's night and day. So what has to happen with roads? I mean, aside from going to Domino's Pizza and asking them for another handout. (laughs) Well, we definitely, I think we have to look at our budget. And if if it means, I mean, we have to look at every department, I think, across the whole board. It's something that we have to make sure that that we're doing right. I think government should be providing some basic things. And I think kind of what this current administration has been doing has not been focusing on the fundamental things that we we need. And ensuring that we've got enough for roads to where, like you said, where where streets are in good repair, where we're not having potholes everywhere. Um, That's got to be something we have to look at within the budget. And if that means cutting down other other departments, and if it means looking at uh, jobs within the, the city government, I mean, we have to do something to make sure that we're providing the best kind of foot forward, because we do want to draw businesses in, and, you know, schools not being where they're at, or being where they're at, and then, you know, crime being where it's at, we, we have to have good roads, too. I mean, those kind of three things, I think, are preventing us from growing in the way that we need to economically. And there's a lot of technology for roads, too. And in fact, my old neighbor um, just started a company. They have a compound that they put on roads, prevents the roads from deteriorating. And he's, I know he's going to try and get government contracts. I don't know a lot about it, so I, you know, I can get you information, I guess. But, um, but technology exists for these types of environments where potholes don't happen the way that right. they're happening. But you got to spend more for it, you know. But you don't have to do it every single year. You're not constantly rebuilding it. And it seems like some governments are saying. Well, we're going to do the cheap option, just kind of patch some stuff up and not actually build a road the way that we it needs to be done. And we'll just worry about those incremental costs and f- fund other things. And yeah, maybe we need an administration that says we're going to spend more money up front, but it's going to save us in the back end. I mean, I feel I'm a I'm a quantity over quality or quality over quantity type of guy here in that sense. So, I mean, I would like to make sure that the things that we're spending money on are, are good um, and making sure that they're going to last for a long time. Some of the things that we've talked about amongst uh, my group is that looking at, you know, I mean, you look at some of these brick paver streets that are out there in South Bend. Those should only be in roundabouts, though. (laughs) I mean, some of those streets are over 150 years old. And I mean, even though some of them are not in the best condition, I mean, longevity wise, you have to look at them and say, well, they did something right there. And I mean, if that means um, as an option, if it's investing on areas that have kind of lower traffic, I mean, obviously on on main roads and thoroughfares, you're going to have to still have, you know, asphalt and and, but you want to make sure you're having good quality infrastructure sure. in that sense. You got to so, deal with ice and slipping and things like that. Yeah. With that material. So, um, all right. So we've got some infrastructure stuff out of the way. You mentioned the economy. We got to got to attract businesses here, and it seems like uh, South Bend pays businesses to stay here. 
You know, we just had some of the big companies, uh, one of them tied to a former politician uh, who was running for office. They were going to leave South Bend until the Common Council said, oh, here's some free uh, tax abatements. Uh, please don't leave in the middle of a presidential cycle. Um, it's, if, if South Bend has to pay businesses to stay and businesses are actively seeking out places like Elkhart and Mishawaka, I mean, how do you change that? I mean, it's focusing, I, it's crime at schools. I mean, they, they want, I think that we have a lot of businesses that have, you know, historically been in South Bend, but they're starting to leave, like you said. And I think part of it is because our government isn't doing the enough to, to get those fundamental things right. And so if we can get a hold of crime, get the, get the community behind these, safe, you know, having safer streets, um, work on not just making our schools better, but drawing in some of those students that have left. I think we need we need to make we need to make South Bend a more welcoming or a more enticing destination. I mean, I think geographically we're in the right spot to be a you know a manufacturing hub. We we're close to the Great Lakes. We have you know, we're within you know just about any part of the country within a day's drive. We've got good infrastructure um, as far as rails and and freight and and airports. So I think if we can do those things right and make make the streets safer you know, make our schools better. That's going to be stuff that's going to draw in business. So I'm in manufacturing on the side. I was talking with some manufacturing individuals here a couple weeks ago, and they were saying pretty much the same thing you were saying about manufacturing. Like, look, I either have to go to North Carolina or I've got to go to Texas to get stuff done or it can be done here. Mm -hmm. So if it can be done here, this is the perfect medium for my shipping costs and my transportation and everything if it can be done here, it's perfect because it's it's so easy for me to get to any mode of transportation. You know, I've got air, I've got rail, I've got even uh, even by by water if I really wanted to. Right. Um, you know, those are things that don't exist where you're in Texas, you're in North Carolina, that sort of thing. And I think a lot of people miss that. So I'm glad to hear that you say that. Right. Anything else that we need to know about your campaign, your plans for the city if you win this race? I mean, for me... I'm I'm a big I'm a big history guy. I just want to do do what's right by my city. I want to make sure that I'm that I'm working hard for them. Uh, I don't have any aspirations beyond working in local government. I think this is where you can get the most done. I mean, speaking as far as government, I know it moves slowly, but this is where you can get the most done in the shortest amount of time. And so I want to make sure that that I'm working hard for the people, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. And I want them to know that that I'm going to be an accessible mayor. I'm going to be a hands-on mayor. Uh, somebody who's going to go into the schools on a weekly basis, talk to kids about their options as far as not just college, but uh, trade skills, manufacturing, uh, military, I think is a good option as well. And so I just want to make sure that uh, everybody knows that I'm all in for the community. All right. How do they get a hold of the campaign, bud? Uh, well, you can uh, go to seanhaasformayor.com uh, and check. We got email there. You can get on PayPal. If you want to donate to the campaign, I would not say no to that. I would most definitely welcome it. All right. Can always use it. All right. Sean Haas, again, Republican candidate for mayor of South Bend. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much and best of luck in the campaign. Thanks for having me. All right. We got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Phone number 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. Again, I want to thank Sean Haas for coming in. He's a Republican candidate running for mayor of South Bend. Uh, Sean asked me, as several of you have, you can have Mueller on. I just fired off a media request to Mueller's campaign. And certainly hope that he will uh, be on the show and make him available to all of you. So as soon as I hear back, ladies and gentlemen, I will let you know.
In the meantime, I have to tell you about Naturals CBD Lotion. This stuff is amazing. Not only does it help with minor aches and pains and irritation, but it smooths the skin because it's a lotion, not just another CBD oil. And Naturals CBD Lotion, grown, harvested, produced, tested right here in the United States of America. It comes in two different strengths, 250 or 500 milligrams of naturally occurring full-spectrum CBD, and the 500 milligrams, this is for a 120-milliliter bottle, by the way, which will last you several months. This is only $19.99 for the 500 milligram, okay? That is about half the price of the competition with about twice as much CBD in it. The stuff works amazing. I've told you the stories about how it's worked for me, how it's worked for my wife, my mom, who's still in the hospital, sent me a message today and said, please bring the CBD lotion by uh, so she can go ahead and have a little extra topical pain relief. Uh, of course, as long as the doctors say it's okay. So it's tough. it just works really, really well, okay? And I highly encourage you to get it. Veteran-owned company and made right here. So go to, again, JuiceMafia.com and go find the CBD lotion. Use coupon code KC10. They might link you to their new website. Uh, that Their new website is just getting going for the Naturals brand. But go to JuiceMafia.com. First, if they link you through, follow it through, it'll be normal. It's okay. They're just working on the new website. Uh, and then you'll be able to go ahead and use coupon code KC10 to save money. You can also get the natural CBD lotion at any local eSig Works location. Again, let them know that I sent you. All right, 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. For those of you who thought that South Park's response to China, this is weird. I'm just touching my cable on my microphone, and it's just buzzing. I'm electric. <clears throat> anyway, sorry. So, if you thought that South Park's response to China, where they responded the other day with a snarky apology, was going to be the end of it, you are not a South Park fan. I was waiting for this. South Park escalated its criticism of the Chinese Communist regime on Wednesday, with lead character Randy Marsh at one point saying, F the Chinese government. Okay, let's let's take a Hold on, i got to get a pen. <clears throat> All right, quick tally. Make sure that I'm not missing anything, okay, Joe? All right, so we have uh, the NBA. They caved, okay? We've got Blizzard, uh, the video game company. They caved. Uh, we had the Houston Rockets independently caved, okay? Then you had the, the home game protest. I forget, was that a Rockets game too? Where they got kicked out for having the sign Free Hong Kong? Okay, that whatever that game happened. Then there was a separate incident where where some people at an NBA game shouted "Free Hong Kong" during the national anthem. They got kicked out of the game. Uh, see what else do we have here? Uh, there are some shoe companies I think that are kind of pushing this because Nikes and things like that, because you didn't know, are manufactured in China. Um, Jason Whitlock, sports commentator, said that it's the shoe companies that are forcing the NBA to do this. A lot of endorsements for them shoe companies. Just throwing it out there. And then, uh, am I missing anything? So we got, you know. There, there was, uh, during a collegiate Hearthstone game, which is owned by Blizzard, the dude held up a sign saying. Doesn't that count as the Blizzard Kong. thing, though? Eh. Oh, or is this a different one? This is a separate incident? Yeah, separate okay. incident. So we have two Blizzard during incidents. During a live okay. stream after they banned the player. Okay, they after they banned and, the player. And they cut right away from and they So they cut away from him because they didn't want to show that. Okay, uh, am I missing something? I know that I probably am, but we're just doing a quick rundown here. Uh, not that comes okay. to mind. So yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. In the past couple of days, at least six incidents of somebody I caving. I have seven. 
You have seven? Mm-hmm. Okay, I missed one. I'll just go seven. So we have at least seven incidents in the past couple of days where, where people have caved to Hong Kong. And we have South Park twice, or caved to China, not Hong Kong. South Park twice telling China to go pound sand. And when China said, we're not going to air South Park in China then, South Park said, so what? We publish them all on the internet for free anyway. <laughs> and then they put a link in the video, um, which you can watch every South Park episode for free on the internet. Uh, that is a part of South Park's business platform is that you never have to pay for their episodes. Um, so, but I do pay for it. I get it through Hulu. You don't have to. I mean, it's convenient, but you don't have to. You can go to their website and get them all for free. All right, so uh, Randy Marsh, who's the dad of Stan Marsh, said, F the Chinese government. In the episode, Shots, which was coincidentally the show's 300th episode, Stan Marsh's father, Randy, is running a weed business selling products to China. (laughs) He told them to bleep off. So, again, if you thought the initial snarky apology was the end of it, like I said, you're not a true South Park fan. This is why this is a national institution, ladies and gentlemen. South Park is amazing for a whole host of reasons. This is just one tiny little escapade in their awesomeness. More coming up next.